The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Amen. heaven, we thank you that you have gathered us together today as your people. And Lord, we pray as you are the high and lifted up one, that we would join our hearts together by your spirit and lift up songs of praise to you and words of adoration and thoughts that are pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray that everything that we do and say together today may glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that he would receive all honor and glory in our worship today. And Lord, we join our hearts together with one voice and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray out loud, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal. 
I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning in verse 23. God says, And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we sing hymn number 455, And Can It Be That I Should Gain.
Children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you all. I have a question for you really quick. I wanted to ask you, how many of you are any of you in school? Anybody? Another question, hopefully an easy one. Have you ever woken up on a day of the week and thought it was the weekend? I don't have to get up and go to school. It's Saturday. Have you ever gotten the day wrong? Anybody? Yeah? And, and when, you, when you got up and you, you wiped the sleep out of your eyes and you went and talked to your parents, isn't it a wonderful Saturday? And then they said, well, wait a minute. It's not Saturday, it's whatever day it is, Friday, Thursday. How many of them said, oh, you thought it was Saturday? Well, you just don't have to go to school today because you thought it was Saturday. Do any of you, have you ever? Yeah? One little hand went up cheapishly. No, when, when, if you're wrong, they say, well, no, it's, it's actually a, a school day. You've got to get up and go, right? But I, I thought it was, or it, it felt like a Saturday to me. Saturdays are, are wonderful. I was hoping to stay home and be here. But the way that you feel sometimes actually isn't reality. How many of you think you're pretty strong for your age? How many of you think if you were to hold on to a stop sign during a hurricane, you might have a chance of being able to hold on? Pretty good chance, maybe better than average, a few of them. But one of the things about a hurricane is, and I think the adults in the room could agree, that it's not so much that you might be able to hold on because the wind is blowing, it's what actually might be blowing through the wind, right? During a hurricane. It's not that it is, it's what's coming along with it. So thinking I might be strong enough to do it isn't really a reason to do something, is it? The way I think or the way I feel might actually not really be real. It might not be true at all. So in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, it says... The heart is deceitfully wicked, or desperately wicked, and who can know it? There might be times when your heart tells you something, your mind says, well, I think this is true, just like you might wake up and think, today's Saturday, when it's really another day. Or you might think, I'm strong enough to do this, let me just try it out and see what happens. And then you end up with a big knot on your head, and everybody can see it, right? Because I thought it could happen, I thought I could do it. And so what the Bible says is that we should trust God and trust His Word, not lean on our hearts, not believe that what our hearts always say is correct, because sometimes our hearts can deceive us. 
So I'm going to pray for you that the Lord would guide your hearts and that you would also look to His Word and believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of Your Word. I thank You that You do reveal Yourself to us. And that though we may be confused about life in this world, and though these children may be confused about what is true or what what is not true, I pray, Lord, that You would guide them by Your Spirit and Your Word, that You would call them to Yourself and that they would confess and profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And I pray, Lord, that You would help them to know the truth even in the the winds of the days that we live in, where people say that it's not possible to know the truth. I pray that you would convince them of it in their hearts and minds, and that in their own day they would be godly men and women who stand for the truth, no matter the consequences. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 118. It's on page 828 in the hymnal. Page 828. I'll begin uh, with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His love endures forever. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. He is my helper. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. I will not die but live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Open for me the gates of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is the day the Lord has made. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is you, comes the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. 
The Lord is God, and He has made His light shine upon us. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. As we continue to worship, let's stand together and sing hymn number 500, Rock of Ages. for our pastoral prayer time, we're continuing to pray uh, for our missionary Andrew Shepherd, who's serving in the Ukraine, and also wanted to pray uh, for us as a church family, and for us here today specifically, uh, that the Lord would grant that we would not be distracted, um, that we would not be distracted or our minds in other places as we come to God's Word in just a few moments, that He would open our minds and our hearts, that He would pour out His Spirit upon us, that we would hear from Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for these moments to be able to quiet our hearts before You, that we might consider Your beauty and Your holiness and the greatness of Your name, that You have called us to Yourself, not because of anything in us, but because of Your glory alone. Out of Your own good pleasure, You have called Your children to Yourself. Lord, we thank You and praise You for it. We give glory to You 
for our salvation. And Lord, we we pray now as we consider the greatness of your salvation, that you would do a work in the world, even through Andrew Shepherd, our missionary, that you would use him mightily with those that he's around. Lord, I pray that you would encourage his heart today if he's discouraged about the work that he has, as he has plenty in front of him to do, and the field is very full. Lord, I pray that you would hold up his heart, that he wouldn't give in to discouragement. Though days of difficulty come and they go, Lord, I pray that his heart wouldn't ebb and flow with those things, but that his heart and mind would be fixed on you. Lord, I pray for his spiritual walk before you, his own devotion to you, that it would be real and living, and that it would be from that fountain that he pours out and ministers to others. Lord, I pray that you would give him clear words as he shares the gospel with other people who don't know you. I pray that his words would would be wonderful in their ears, that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection would be sweet to their souls. It would be what they need to hear. And I pray, Lord, that you would move by your spirit in that country. And Lord, I pray that for us here today, too, as we prepare in just a few moments to hear the anthem and to hear your word proclaimed. We are a needy people. We need our eyes opened and our ears unstopped that we would hear and behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. I pray, Lord, that if we're distracted or if we have other things on our minds, if we're sleepy, if we are grieving, if we are tired, if we are afraid, Lord, that you would meet us right where we are, that you would clear our minds that we might be able to see and behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus. Titus chapter 1, we're going to be reading today verses 15 and 16. Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is the word of the Lord. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Today in our series, Ordinary Christian Living, we're concluding chapter 1 of Titus. The sermon is entitled, The Pure and the Defiled. Paul's firm belief in the book of Titus and throughout the rest of the New Testament is that everyone who receives saving faith will grow in godliness. The Spirit of God does not leave people static in neutral. They are always moving, always growing. They're active as they grow and progress and persevere in sincere faith and love and obedience to the Word of God. Yet Paul was on guard, and specifically with Titus there in Crete. He was on guard, and we should be too, even in the day that we live in, against an outward godliness as a substitute for the grace of God. In Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Paul narrows our focus this morning to think critically and deeply and pause for a few moments to think about the existence, the reality, and the nature of sin. Sin in our lives and also in the world. And whether or not, according to the Word of God, there is an effectual remedy for it. And remember, in the context that we have been looking at in this section in in Titus chapter 1, Paul is speaking specifically to Titus about leadership and about qualifications and disqualifications for those who might aspire to the office of being an elder in the church. I think that's significant and important to remember as we consider these verses. Paul says that all people are in one of two categories. There isn't a third. You are either pure or you are defiled. In the Old Testament, this related specifically to worship. Because no unclean or defiled person can be in God's presence, much less approach Him and live. So what remedy is there then for sinful man? All of us are in that place. All of us sinned in Adam according to God's Word. So what remedy is there for a people to be able to approach the living God? This is just as relevant today in 2023 as it was for Titus on the island of Crete in the 60s A.D. The church and our families and our neighbors need the truth. It's important that we not sugarcoat it, that we not look at the Bible and then say things hoping not to hurt others' feelings or offend them. The Word of God stands alone. It is sure and it is right. And even if it does hurt our conscience, the Lord does that for our good and for His glory. So this morning there are two points in the sermon. The first is the pure and the defiled. And the second is a biblical view of sin. And the question that we come to in this part of the chapter of Titus chapter 1 is, what is it that makes a person pure? How is it that someone could be described with this word? How can you and I be made suitable to be in God's presence? Some believed 
that people were actually capable of it. And it must have been the case even in the churches, the young churches in Crete. Because we saw in verse 10 that that Paul spoke about those who were of the circumcision, who were trying to force those ideas on other people in the church, that in order to, to believe and to belong in heaven, in order for God to let you in one day when you die, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow these certain Jewish rituals. And if you don't, even if you have faith in Jesus, you can't be let in. Others, according to verse 14 in Titus chapter 1, were teaching as commandments of men things that people had to do. You have to add to your faith. You believe in Jesus, good, but you also have to do these other things in order to not be defiled in God's presence. It's clear that Paul's opponents here, even on the island of Crete, were teaching and conceived of a purity by means of ritual performance, something that I do before God coupled with an abstinence or a ceasing from participating in or taking part in certain foods and other pleasures. We might call this an ascetic lifestyle. It makes me suitable in God's presence if I stay away from certain things. In my day in college, one of the the speakers said once, as long as you don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do, you're living the right kind of lifestyle. You're you're doing what you should. God is pleased with your life. The ascetic lifestyle that says, as long as I don't touch these things or put these things in my body or associate with these kind of people, then God will be pleased with my life. I'm living a godly life. And yet, according to His his Word, that's not true. Because there's only one standard of righteousness that counts before the living God. But Paul, repeatedly, if you look at his epistles, Even in the pastoral epistles that we're studying in in Titus right now, there was a constant need to have to address this with God's people. And I think it's helpful for us to be sensitive to the ways that our own hearts might be inclined to think, if I just do these things, God will accept me. If I just live this way or, or check this box, it will be acceptable to God, even if I don't actually live the right way. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, Paul says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to these regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It's clear that Paul was saying there might be things that we could do that would look Christian. They might actually look acceptable to the world that we live in. And society might actually say that is a stand-up way to live and commend it. But Paul is saying doing those things alone, if your heart is not bowed before the Lord Jesus Christ, if He is not transforming you and you're not coming before Him repenting of sin, then you've just lived a good moral life in front of other people. You haven't actually confessed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what counts. That's what matters. First Timothy chapter 4, again, he addresses this with Timothy. He says in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, 
forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Clearly, there was a a need for people to hear and be set free from the lies of legalism. That if you live this way and do these things, that's how you're acceptable and suitable in God's sight. And Jesus Himself and His disciples were actually criticized on more than one occasion by people who were the religious folks, who kept the rules and who gave the rules to God's people. Jesus Himself was criticized for not washing His hands in the prescribed ceremonial way. What greater irony in the Scriptures than to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you didn't wash your hands before you sat down and ate. In Luke chapter 11, verses 38 and 39, it says that they marveled at Jesus, that He had not washed His hands before dinner. And He says to them, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Then in another place, in Luke chapter 11, maybe turn there just for a moment if you have your Bible with you. Actually, go over to Mark chapter 7. We'll not do the Luke passage. Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees had found fault with the disciples of Jesus because they hadn't washed according to the traditions of the elders that had been handed down. In Mark chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus has a discussion with them. And He said to them, Speaking to the disciples, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he purified all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from without, from within, excuse me, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Even Jesus spoke to this in His day. And I think what's significant and important for us to remember and to see in this, that according to Jesus, we cannot remove the defilement that is on each of us by performing a ritual or setting up rules that say if I do this, this, and this each day or if I go to church, then I am, I am doing what God requires. I'm acceptable in His sight. If I don't have certain foods or if I stay away from this, if I don't touch this kind of thing or listen to this kind of music or go to these movies or associate with these people, the Bible says we must be forgiven of the guilt of our sin and cleansed inwardly from the domination of sinful desires and attitudes. You might say we were forgiven at the cross of Jesus. Jesus paid and bought our forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit applies the work of redemption, cleansing our hearts day by day. It's the work of sanctification. And I said at the beginning that Paul is rock solid on anyone who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is firm that anyone who belongs to Him will progress in godliness. They will grow. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you in neutral. He doesn't park you over here and leave you. He's always moving you forward. You're always growing. You're growing to hate sin and to love Jesus and to love His people. 
And he uses those as tests for us. Are you growing in these graces? It doesn't mean I'm the same as that person over there. It means is my heart changing? Am I seeing love for Jesus and hate for sin? Am I working on it with the Lord's power? Not on my own, but am I walking with Him? Those are the tests that I use on myself. They're not yardsticks to use on other people. To to look at the man or the woman in the mirror. So Jesus uses this word defiled. And so I want to answer the question, whom and to what extent is Jesus describing through these words of Paul in Titus chapter 1? Who is it that's defiled and to what extent are they defiled? Well, in the Bible, to be defiled refers to all people without distinction. There are no exceptions. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. That there was no one without exception that did not fall and sin with him. That he was our representative head in the garden. And so when he sinned against God, he plunged all of us into a world of having a sinful nature. So not just that you make mistakes every once in a while. Not that you lose your temper or you lie to someone and tell a small tale. But there's actually something in you that drives you to do it. It's like an engine that keeps moving you forward and you can't hit the brakes. Who can say, I'll sin this far and go no further? Nobody can. We have no power over sin on our own. Nobody can say, well, I'll stop tomorrow or maybe in 10 years. It's not really that time in life right now. I'll be serious about Jesus later. Who can say that? Who can corral their own heart or their own desires of their own strength and do it? No one can. We're all defiled because of our sinful nature that we inherited from Adam. He also says not only are they defiled, but they're also unbelieving. And to be unbelieving means that it it refers to anyone who has not trusted in Jesus alone and nothing else to cleanse their inward spiritual impurity. When Jesus was asked in John chapter 6, what must we do to work the works of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. If you thought that coming to God meant He would give you a 10-item checklist, and as you check off the boxes and do the things, you give the money, you go to Sunday school, you come to worship, take part in something that gives and helps other people, take a meal to someone or knock on a door, those are things that you do because the grace of God is in you, not hoping to earn it. You do those things because He has saved you, not because you hope He will. These words, defiled and unbelieving, in Titus chapter 1, also refer to those who profess faith in Jesus. They have an outward profession of faith. They say, I'm a Christian. But who measure the health of their Christian belief and evaluate other people according to this by how well they fit a certain mold. The appearance of being a Christian to them is most important. And in the Bible... This says that that's exchanging truth for a lie. The appearance of being Christian being more important than anything else. I claim to know God. I can use the right language, but inwardly I rage every day with with anger and hate towards other people. Or I lie consistently to others. Or I cheat and take advantage of people in order to be the next person to get the promotion in my job at work. All of those things matter before the living God. To make a profession of faith and say, I'm a Christian, I belong to God, 
even in our society, mean something. And unfortunately, in some parts of the world, and in some parts of even Fairfield County, to say you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ is immediately met with a raised eyebrow. Hmm. Well, I wonder what kind. What does that mean? Better check your wallet. Unfortunately for some people, Christians are some of the worst folks to them. They don't love them. They don't seem to be touched by the grace that they claim to have received on their own. It's why some people chafe so much when you say you're a believer. 1 Peter 1.22, one of the clearest ways to know you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You say you love Jesus. Do you love other people? Do you love other people the way that you want to be loved, the way you have been loved in the Lord Jesus Christ? People who are hypocrites, it's who he's describing here. He says they claim to know Jesus. They profess to know God, and yet they deny Him by how they live. They may look the part to other people. They have the right clothes on. They use, even use the right sounding words. They know Christianese language to give to others. But God says in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me. James chapter 4, verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. But He doesn't stop there. He says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the matter is not whether you washed your hands before the meal or said grace before you took a bite of food. Is did you recognize, do you acknowledge that apart from a saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have defilement in your own soul that you can't deal with apart from His grace? And so I think, thinking about the pure and the defiled, the only thing that I think will help us, and I think it is glorious to think about this, It's not denigrating. It doesn't hurt my self-image. It doesn't hurt yours to say that you and I should have a biblical view of sin. John Owen said, He that has slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. John Owen was one of the great Puritan writers. He says, He that has slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. So how do we define sin? I want to share some words with you from William Plumer. He wrote a, a, a brief article called Sin and Infinite Evil. In it, he says, Tell me what you think of sin, and I'll tell you what you think of God, of Christ, of the Spirit, of the divine law, of the blessed gospel, and all necessary truth. He who looks upon sin merely as a fiction, or as a misfortune, or as a trifle, sees no necessity either for deep repentance or a great atonement. He who sees no sin in himself will feel no need of a Savior. He who is conscious of no evil at work in his own heart will desire no change of nature. He who regards sin as a slight affair will think a few tears or an outward reformation ample satisfaction. The truth is, no man ever thought himself a greater sinner before God than he really was. Nor was any man ever more distressed at his sins than he had just cause to be. He who never felt it to be an evil and a bitter thing to depart from God, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 19, is to this hour an enemy of his Maker, a rebel against his rightful and righteous sovereign. 
When God defines sin, He speaks of it this way. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, He says, Be astonished, O you heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord, for My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken Me as the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's saying that the sin, sin is so awful in the book of Jeremiah. Not only did God's people walk away from Him, and not only do we do that, walk away from the living God, but also we hew out for ourselves cisterns that cannot hold water. We run to things like performance, and doing well, and serving other people, and smiling and being nice. And we use those as substitutes. And we deceive ourselves into believing that if we believe that lie hard enough, that we'll be able to convince God to go along and play the part with us too. And yet the Bible says clearly, that's not true. It's not true at all. We know the reason why it's not true. The Bible tells it very clearly. Jesus came to bear our sins on the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God the Father made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. If sin isn't real, then Jesus came needlessly. If there isn't really anything in your heart that needs to be changed, then you don't really need a Savior. You just need help. You just need moved along. But if there is sin in you, then all of the trying and doing well and serving and doing your best all amount to nothing. You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to Him with nothing in your hands. We sang it just a moment ago. Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to Thee for dress. Helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me Savior or I die. I'm not saying you have to sing those words to Jesus, but if you have not knelt before the cross and received grace from the living God, then the Bible says you are alone in your sins. But there's also a promise in it that if you have, if you have, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's an astounding thing in the Bible. I looked at it today in John chapter 6 in the passage we studied in adult Sunday school where Jesus said no man has seen God except Him who came from God. God told Moses in Exodus no man has seen God, no one can and will live. And yet Jesus is saying blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. In the book of Revelation chapter 22 it says in verses 1 through 5 And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And the next verse, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. No man can see God and live. 
And yet Jesus makes a promise to his children. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you shall see God. You shall see him and behold him. You will be able to live, not because of you, but because of him and how he has changed you. So I ask you, would you consider this one test whether or not you are walking with the living God or simply playing games in his presence? In Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, this is one test you can use to know whether or not you belong to him. Am I pure or am I defiled? Am I playing games or do I belong to him? Do you go to Jesus with your heart and with your sins? He says in Psalm 139 verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's one way to know. And one last thing I want to mention very briefly to our elders and to you. I mentioned at the beginning that this is in the context of leadership, that he's speaking about these things and false teaching in the church. One of the things that we must do, men, is inquire into the lives of the sheep that God has given us. And I don't just mean inquire regarding their health or how their families are. But if the greatest enemy to God's people is the sin that exists in them, then with humility, we have to sit and discuss with them, how are things with your soul? Are you in the fight? What things are mastering you? And it should be something that should be humbling to you as God's people that someone would care enough to come and ask and say, how is your soul? Are you walking with Jesus? In what ways are you disobeying Him? How can I pray for you? Yes, certainly we want to pray for family things and things going on in your home and your health, but we also want to pray for what's going on in your heart. I want to finish with some verses from Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch over your own souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I think that word submissive there, if if you could put a parenthesis, it would say with joy. Because you know your elders love you and they're for you. They're for your families. They want to see you grow and love the Lord Jesus. They're not here to rule over you. They're here to love you and care for you and guide you in the way. And when there are times when you may step off the path, they love you enough to say, come back over here. We love you. We don't want you to do hurt to your soul. It's the only reason we bring it up. Because I know I've been there and I walk that road and I don't want it for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the truth and the clarity that it brings, even though at times it is loud and it is a strong hammer against our cold hearts. Lord, I pray that You would help us to come before You not in fear, but to come before You as a Heavenly Father who loves His children. And I pray, Lord, for all of us in this room that we would take seriously to walk before You in holiness individually and in our families. That we would not do it for a show, but for the sake of Your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's respond to God's Word by standing and singing together hymn number 703, Love with Everlasting Love.
you may be seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. heaven, we thank you and we acknowledge that all the good gifts that we have received, all the blessings in this life come from your hand. And we thank you and praise you that we have received them, not because we are better than others, but because you have richly blessed us out of your own good pleasure. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity now to to give back to you our tithes and our offerings. And Lord, we do so by faith, knowing that we may, even in the day that we live in, may need to tighten our belt loops one notch tighter. And we continue to press in our hearts to trust and believe that you will provide. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you provide for your church and you take care of your people. For your word says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. We look to you by faith that you would provide for us and we give joyfully today in Jesus' name. Amen.
receive the benediction of our Lord. Now the eternal God who is your refuge be a rock that is beneath you, the tower that is around you, the shelter that is above you this day and all the days until Jesus comes again. Amen.